It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring. So, good evening and welcome to the second of our Pompey Politics podcasts, um, husting, virtual hustings. This one is the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Police and Crime Commissioner hustings. Um, we have uh, three of the four candidates here with us this evening, um, and we'll invite them to just introduce themselves um, in a second. So, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. I will go right ahead and just explain how things are going to work. So, um, Welcome. Um, the questions have been submitted in advance via the event on our Facebook, by our, our email, and if there is time, we'll accept um, comments from the live stream section on Facebook. All of the questions chosen will be ones and have been ones which um, can be answered by all of the candidates and are applicable to the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Policing and to the Police and Crime Commissioner Office. Questions have been selected by Ian and myself and will be put to the candidates in a specified, um, in a in a randomised turn, um, the candidates will answer those questions in a random order as determined by our highly technical randomizer. All of the candidates will have the option to give a three-minute opening and a three-minute closing speech. Candidates that have responded to us but are unable to attend the hustings were given an option to pre-record or submit written speeches. As the hustings are being held via Zoom, if we need to prevent interruptions, we may mute any candidate that um, that is disrupting the, the flow um, from the candidate that is actually currently speaking. Otherwise, we're going to leave all of the microphones live um, throughout the duration for an for a easier flow. The candidates will each be given two minutes to answer each question. Um, and then once all of the candidates have answered, rebuttals will be offered um, to each of them in turn candidates will have a 60 second rebuttal um, to the answers given by their opponents but there will be no further follow-up. We're not here to pit your candidates against each other, the election is already doing that for you. We're here to give voters a chance to have their questions put to the candidates. No candidate is going to be declared a winner or a loser today and our hope is that by being able to hear their responses you, the voters, will be the winners. So I'm going to hand over now to Ian. Thank you, Simon. Um, and as Simon said, uh, unfortunately, we have been unable to secure um, Donna Jones, the Conservative candidate. We did speak with Donna when we were planning this event, and, and she said she would decide um, whether she could or couldn't make it. We have made several attempts since then uh, via various platforms to contact Donna, either for a statement or to give her the option to pre-record. Um, unfortunately, she has not answered any of those um, any of those requests. So we will proceed with the three fine folk that we have in front of us. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, starting with Richard. Yes, I'm Richard Murphy and I'm standing for the Liberal Democrats. Steve. Yeah, I'm Steve James Bailey and I represent Hampshire Independence. And finally, Tony. Good evening. I'm Tony Bundy. I'm the Labour and Cooperative Party candidate. Perfect. So, gentlemen, time for your opening. So you've got your opening three-minute statement. And Richard, would you like to start? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ian. And uh, thanks to both of you for organising this. I mean, it is fantastic to have the opportunity to, uh, to actually share views and, and express ourselves in, in what is an important elected role that pretty much nobody knows anything about. Uh, and when I was 
thinking about how to kick this off this morning, um, I thought I'd better start with a positive, really, because there will be lots of negatives later on. But um, when I was selected, one of the first things that I did was to um, come down to visit the Lib Dem Portsmouth team. Uh, and we went out and talked to people in Fratton. Uh, and one of the things that came through really strongly where we were um, was the problem of young people using drugs. Uh, but for me, what was what was really encouraging, they weren't blaming the police. Um, they know how stretched they are. And they weren't blaming the kids themselves. They actually wanted proper solutions that were going to solve the problem. Um, and social media, there can be lots of shouting at one another, but actually consistent across all of this campaign, people want practical solutions. Um, so my background, I'm 52. I'm 30 years working in business. More than half of that as a senior partner for a national firm of actuaries. I've managed a business, but also worked with people across a huge range of industries and backgrounds. Um, and I lived um, and worked for nearly 20 years of that in Hampshire. Um, I've always been involved locally in things, school governor, et cetera, but actually started campaigning things in 2017. I'm not a politician. I've never stood um, for election anywhere, but I've been an on the grounds campaigner, knocked on thousands of doors, talked to people, um, became more aware really of challenges um, over that time around justice. Um, and we probably talk later about whether police and crime commission is a good idea. But uh, one of the things is it, it's a real chance to have strategy, get it, listen to communities, prevent offendings, do more things to look after victims. So I've picked up, you know, my key things that I've been going on. We all know police numbers fell hugely, a thousand, um, and I'll be there fighting to fix the unfair funding that sees Hampshire um, losing out to the tune of 43 million compared to the average. Um, my background is absolutely wanted to get in prevention, stop reoffending, diverting young people away from crime as well as dealing with crime. And then something that's come through stronger and stronger as I've campaigned is people want safer streets and roads. Um, wherever you are, that affects you. Uh, and at speeding, it's it's all, all everything around that. But we want a safer environment. That's all the community, but policing have a key role to play in that. Richard, thank you very much. And we'll pass the baton on to Steve. How do you do? I'd like to thank uh, Pompey Podcast for putting this hustings on. Um, I'm Steve James Bowley and I represent Hampshire Independence. Uh, my background is, is 12 years um, in the military, in the Royal Air Force, where I was uh, in communications. And I left there and joined Hampshire Constabulary as a police officer in 1989, some years ago now. Um, I stayed with them for 23 years when I retired. Whilst I was in the um, uh, police, I had various specialist roles. Uh, more significantly, I was eight years as a community uh, police officer. And um, later on, after promotion, I became a custody sergeant and I headed up the uh, prosecution support team in Basingstoke. Um, and then I retired and, like I said, and went on to uh, have a couple of small businesses, uh, which, albeit small, they uh, have been successful. Um, so I've been living in Basingstoke, Hampshire, uh, for f over 40 years. Um, I uh, would like to make a difference. That's why I'm standing for Police and Crime Commissioner. Um, and I would like to see primarily more community constables on the beat. Um, I'd like to see rural crime tackled head on. Uh, I'd like to see victims of crime uh, treated more seriously and compassionately. I'd like to see our streets cleaned up. Uh, with antisocial behaviour, fly tipping, excess noise, all tackled. And I'd like uh, making police more accessible and 
good use or improve the 101 service. That's me. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thank you, Steve. And finally, and by no means least, Tony, the floor is yours. Thank you, Simon. Uh, good, good evening. Um, I, like uh, Richard, have never stood for any, uh, anything political before. Um, I've got a long professional history, and as a reasonably senior manager in local government, I was politically restricted. So though I've been a Labour Party supporter for my all my adult life, this is my first uh, step into an, uh, an election field. I've got a long history as a both a practitioner and a manager in all sorts of fields of work that are absolutely crucial to the experience of police work. Uh, as a young man, I worked in homelessness and managed a night shelter and things like that, worked in a children's home, worked for the probation service. Um, then I, I became qualified uh, as a social worker 30 odd years ago, uh, but worked with young offenders, uh, uh, pretty much like a, like a juvenile probation officer, really. Uh, as a practitioner across uh, much of Hampshire, Basingstoke, Andover, Winchester, Eastley, and then as a manager, managing the teams that covered Portsmouth and Haven't, where we uh, had a very successful service that massively reduced the number of young people going to custody from 180 something in a year across the county down to about five. Um, it was really uh, quite in, quite effective. I moved back to Southampton uh, in 1994 and managed specialist mental health services and substance misuse services, um, and, and pretty much continued that till till about 10 years ago when I. I took a voluntary redundancy and started my own business uh, with, with my son, which continues today. But I've also since then become a, a government inspector with the Care Quality Commission, uh, a quarter specialist advisor. So I've taken all that experience now and um, I, I inspect and moderate services. Uh, I'm pleased to bring that history to, to this role. I've always been passionate about quality public services, delivering quality outcomes for people. And perhaps most importantly, a lot of that has been within um, a shared services between different agencies, probation, health, social services, working together uh, to find the best solutions to, to things. Um, I'm very pleased to be able to bring Labour values to this role, uh, this, this election. And I think the important ones there are social justice, fairness, equality, rights uh, matched with responsibilities, reward for hard work, and particularly protecting vulnerable people. Uh, my priorities, like, as Richard mentioned, we've got the worst funded police force in the country. It's treated with contempt by this government. And we have to, whoever the PCC, and it hasn't happened today, has to fight tooth and nail for better resources, fairer resources for the police. But we're losing the war on drugs, and we need a fresh approach to that. Um, we need a much better response, and I hope to say more about these things later on, in our, towards violence against women and girls. Uh, retail crime is a real problem, um, and we need, a, we, need a greener, we need a greener police force, and police must play their part in the climate emergency. I'm really committed to fair and responsive policing for all people. Everyone has a right to feel safe and secure in their own home, community, and workplace. And that's that's what I I'm about. I think. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So we will now go to our list of questions. Okay. So we're going to pose these questions. Um, Ian and I will take turns in asking asking the questions. 
Um, so the first question is, Hampshire is a diverse mix of big cities and rural communities. How can you balance the needs of both? And that question first goes to uh, Steve. Well, quite simply, really, we just need more beat officers in the towns and in the rural. Once upon a time, we had plenty of beat officers, um, local, speaking to all residents, to farmers, landowners, shops in the cities, um, and residents that live on the uh, various estates. They had were a point of contact, and we could very simply um, speak to them, report a crime, get the reassurance of them walking through um, their the, um, estate, and um, they were visible. We just we've lost communication. There's been a bit of a disconnect. So getting the policing out into the rural and into the towns uniformly across the, the county um, of Hampshire and the Isle of Wight will be just what we need. Thank you very much. Um, and that uh, question next goes to Richard. Uh, thanks, Simon. Uh, I think the, I mean, what's already come up is that the biggest way we can get a balance between rural and uh, and, and the big cities is going to be to be have a, a bigger pie to divide so that we actually help the resources and the building back that we're going to see very slowly from the government funding that we get. Um, um, the, the key thing will be to get those out and build back those community services that have been mentioned already a couple of times and I'm sure will come up again. Um, my first thought there is in terms of background and understanding of those, what I've been finding as I go around talking to individuals, talking to those probation service, others, um, and go getting into the rural communities, but also into the thick of um, the urban areas as well. And this is my background. I mean, I grew up um, in a rural area. Uh, in, I was born and brought up in, in Ireland. I then spent 10 years in London in a variety of communities there. Um, and had the big city issues um, on my doorstep uh, and then been in, in Winchester uh, and thereabouts for the last 20 years uh, and will take all of that knowledge um, of those areas into these decisions of how we balance. I mean, I, the concern, the fear people have in rural areas around isolation is one that we need to, to really address. Uh, but within cities, they feel neglected. They feel they haven't had the balance of policing um, compared to other areas. So I, a lot of it will just be working with the comfortable evidence-based approach. Where can we drive through most effectively change as we have built up this aggression resource? And then there's another element to this, and this is for the, sort of for the listeners, um, is to encourage reporting. Um, I was reading a statistic today that... 25% um, of those in rural areas are not reporting crime. Ten but actually seconds. from the Portsmouth survey, half had not reported their most recent one. If we're going to get deal with crime evenly. We need you to report. Excellent. Thank you very much. Wound that in just on time. Well done. <laughs> um, and then um, lastly, come we come to Tony, please. Thank you. Um, I grew up in a rural village a few miles from Rumsley. Uh, I now live in the city and... and uh, in my professional life, I've worked right across from Ural to small towns to the big, to, to the big inner cities and all the issues and problems that come with that. What's really interesting, uh, I became the candidate for the Labour Party eight, last August, and, and I've been working full time on it since then. And that's involved talking to and visiting all sorts of communities all across Hampshire in all sorts of environments. And it, every one of them 
feels really let down by um, by the by their policing. And, and again, it's not the fault of our local police or the chief constable. This is this is about fair funding and fair resources um, from central government. Um, we are the worst funded force in the country. So uh, we have to keep challenging that. But we also have to find ways of sharing out the resources that we've got fairly. Um, and we have to be honest about it. So, you know, pe- people feel really let down. We have to acknowledge that and be, and be honest that there aren't easy answers to it. it, it it's a resource issue. But as much as we have to share resources, we must do that fairly. And we must base that on the best strategies for minimising the worst harm to people. So we have to measure harm. Uh, the Chief Constable herself acknowledges that Hampshire is now what she calls a high harm force. And that, that is, if something bad, really bad happens to you or your family, there'll, there'll be a, a, a really good response. Below that, it, it's much more difficult. Uh, and we acknowledge that. And we've got new challenges coming all the time in rural crime. There's 20 seconds. A lot of rural crime is, is organised, but we've got the drug problems in the cities as well. We've got to tackle those. So um, I'd like to say a lot more, but I've run out of time. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. There'll be plenty more opportunities we go yeah. through the questions. So if we come to question two here, gentlemen, and this um, is Ian. This was probably the one that, that got the most, uh, you know, we, we've, we've tidied some of the wording up. Sorry, Ian, um, we, we didn't go to the rebuttals on that one. Oh, sorry, chum. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, would any of you gentlemen like to issue a 60-second rebuttal to any of the responses of your fellow candidates? And it's okay not to. It means we get through more questions. <laughs> I'm going to take silence as a we'll move on anyway. So apologies, Ian. Um, question two. Marvellous. So as I say, this was the area that, that the most people uh, expressed an opinion on, which is the office of PCC comes at a cost. Many of our listeners have said that they actually don't think the office is good value for money and they would rather see that money spent on frontline officers. What would you say to them? And we'll start with Tony, please. Thank you. Uh, I I understand people's feelings and questions. PCCs came in in 2012. And my first reaction is, what what on earth do we want those for? Why are we politicising the police? and I don't think I actually voted in the election in 2012 because I, I, I didn't, well, most people didn't, and the turnout was 15% in Hampshire. Um, it, I didn't see the relevance. Um, I probably think probably did vote uh, five years ago. Um, the first thing to say is PCCs is what we've got, so we have to engage in it. And uh, I was persuaded to stand, I had to be persuaded uh, to bring my background to that because... When I, and I, but I had to go away and research the role and find out all about it. And what I did, I thought, yes, this is a role that you can really do some good in. What preceded them was the police authorities. And I think they're probably a cheaper and better and more effective uh, way of, 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 of providing oversight to the, to the police than the police authorities were. But in a finished article, there's an ongoing uh, debate, uh, a consultation going on run by the Home Office about what, what happens to them in the future. I think there's some fantastic examples around the country, of what, and they're mostly Labour, I have to say, and I would say that, obviously, of initiatives being run by PCCs, evidence-based, tackling the, the real problems and the root causes of crime um, and, and doing that. And that's to do with drugs, with, to do with violence against women, uh, and they can have a great thing. And they commission a lot of services, uh, and, and you, have, you can't do that without having some staff to 
to, to look at seconds. what's needed and what the evidence of what's needed is in doing it. So uh, I understand, but I I become a a fan. I'm surprised. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Can I pose that question to Steve, please? Yes, like Tony, I was persuaded also to stand, and uh, I had to do some looking into the role and uh, whether I could meet the challenge. And I believe I can uh, meet the challenge of the role. Um, I have a lot of previous experience and um, acumen in order to fulfil the role, and I would like to make that difference. Now, whether it's a waste of money or not, I, I would like to say... I agree, it probably is a waste of money um, having a PCC role. It's very, very expensive, but we we are where we are. It's a national uh, decision whether we abolish the role or not, and it's not something that we can do more locally. So unfortunately, you've got us, or one of us, mm -hmm. and um, and we will try to do the best we can to members, the, for, for the accountable to the members of the public, um, and, um, and try and reduce the costs and make policing better in Hampshire you know that's all I can say really you know we need some sort of accountability the police need to be accountable to somebody and we need to be accountable to the public what the public want we will try and get done by working with the chief constable and the police force um, and, and taking things forward thank you Steve and finally Richard yeah, no, no surprise to see the, this question there, because I think um, to my face, most people have talked about issues, but actually online, most of it is a lot of comments about why do we have this PCC? Isn't it just a complete waste of time? And, and the, I mean, Liberal Democrat policy is just to get rid of it uh, and to replace it with something similar to what was there before. Uh, but uh, as everyone has said, we, we have it here now. Um, and because the, and it's not one that can just be swept away we we have the rules that would need to be carved out and put somewhere else so accountability we need some locally somebody locally elected to hold the police to account uh, and that is something i see as an absolute key role to listen to the public understand and um, and challenge in a constructive way what the police are doing here with the, with the chief constable to consult to go out um and really get the head around what are the issues? How are they changing? We're seeing a huge change obviously to online crime. How do we adapt? What are, what are the real pressures people are under? And then the distribution of funds. And as Tony has flagged, there's enormous amounts of excellent practice around the country. We, there's innovation that happens in Hampshire as well. Um, and the PCC has the power to actually go out and distribute funds um, in a way that supports victims, encourages um, children away, away from crime, deals with the really specific hot, hot spots of issues around the county. Um, it's a flexible role uh, and one that I would use as an opportunity to make things better across 20 the whole seconds. of and the Isle of Wight. Thank you. So, gentlemen, any rebuttals or comebacks to your fellow candidates? Just like to point out that the, the, the role was a... Was a, a, a um, invention of the uh, conservative and liberal go coalition government and uh, labor party hands aren't on, on, aren't on that particular offense <laughs> but uh, part of that is meant we haven't embraced them as we should do because they are a reality at the moment <laughs> simon okay um were there oh sorry were there any more rebuttals or were we good 
we could. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, okay, so question three: um, What emphasis would candidates give to tackling the causes of crime, and particularly with young people? And um, that question first goes to Richard, please. Yeah, and I think we, having just talked about the disadvantages of the VCD role, one of the big advantages is uh, ability to um, really promote dealing with the root causes of crime. Uh, I mean, one of the early things I did was to go and talk to the people just up the road from you in Petersfield, um, the King's Arms uh, there who work with young people who got into problems with crime and, and meeting with that team. Uh, they have people with county lines and what they do is they bring together schools, social workers, police uh, and support people away from crime. And we see what, what, what absolutely struck me um, and that's supported by the office of the PCC is that we need to see that across the whole of Hampshire. You know, it's no good having just pockets of good practice. Well, even in prisons, um, there's again so much that can be done. I mean, I was up at HMP ISIS uh, which is an offender institution for 18 to 25 year olds, they're looking to learn from um, their experiences of the lockdown and COVID and really improve education. Um, and we there can get into the root causes um, of uh, the elements of crime that means people get sucked into a cycle of, cycle of that. Really, we need to get out there and challenge what's happening and as we build back the numbers, build the relationships that we talked about in the communities. Let's get into schools. Let's get onto the streets. Let's get it done. Thank you very much. And that question next goes to Tony, please. Uh, not surprisingly, with, with my background of having worked with managed frontline services, I put a high emphasis on not only tackling crime, but tackling the causes of crime. Uh, and we know so much of police time now is used with the, the new front line for mental health services or for youth services or, uh, or picking up problems in deficits and other services. Um, I would like to, to, I would place a very high emphasis on, on, on tackling the causes of crime. There's a lot of challenges with that, including budgetary challenges. So I think what you've got to do is imagine, be imaginative and innovative. Uh, and again, with, with my background, I'd immediately look to look working in partnership with other agencies, youth services, mental health services, substance misuse services, to see how we can actually maximise the, the response. And I know that if we can have some imaginative uh, new responses and, and, and initiatives to some of these problems, we can also free up resources, particularly police resources, and use, and use our energies and time and, and in, in different ways to have a more effective response to crime. But that's what we want. You know, we want less crime, less victims, but we, but we, we can't keep doing the same things all over, all again, time and time again, if they're not working, you know, and that's what's happening. We, we need a different approaches. Uh, and, and yes, I'd put a very high emphasis on it. Thank you very much. And then um, lastly, if I can put that question to Steve, please. It's really interesting how things revolve and they go around in circles over the years. And, you know, we had something that worked and now it's not working. You know, the young people feel they can get away with anything they can. They feel that they are empowered in some way that they can get away with things and, and they almost seem to 
go about our streets and cause a lot of antisocial problems and other things. And it's not, it is the minority. I appreciate that. It's not the majority of kids. The majority of kids are, are, are very well behaved. And it's the, the minority that spoil it for everybody. And the problem is, is that they don't have enough respect for the police or authority. And what we used to do in the old days, and it's still quite relevant, is when we had enough police officers, that was, is we get into the schools at an early age, at primary schools, with getting it right schemes going on. We would get into the secondary schools with get, get, get real schemes, where police officers would teach youngsters about misuse of drugs, the, the rights and wrongs of knife crime. And they would challenge their behaviour and everybody knew their police officer that went to the school. I had somebody the other day say to me, oh, did you know PC such and such? And didn't you know PC such and such? You don't hear kids say that now um, because the police don't go in the schools often enough. And we just need to get back into the schools, get the respect, get it back from grassroots and working upwards because I think this is going to be a long job, but it needs to start now. And this is what I'm going to try and do is when I'm in office, I will get the officers back into the schools, back onto the beats and be seen. Thank you very much. Um, I apologise, I didn't give you the 20 second kind of call out there, but you came in 10 seconds under time anyway, so thank you. Um, are there any um, any rebuttals that anybody wanted to issue to any of the responses? Excellent. Thank you very much. So, Ian, the next question. Yes, so... Uh... A fairly hot topic of the moment is that the uh, Police Crime and Sentencing Bill, um, which has drawn a lot of attention, is currently going through approval. Um, it gives greater decision-making and powers to the police. Which of those do you welcome and which do you not? And we'll start with Steve. A massive, massive piece of legislation. It comes out every year, but this particularly um, big one this year. It, it covers uh, the contentious um, side of protest and freedom of speech. And this is where um, a lot of the, uh, the, the issues have, have been happening. Now, the reason is, is because there are no set guidelines. You know, somebody can go out there and they can and we can say, right, between this time and that time, you can't do that. That is fine because we know between two sets of times where the law stands. With this bit of legislation, what we have is, is complete subjectivity. One commander, police commander, let's say from Portsmouth, wouldn't have the same decision-making skills, well, decision, um, because he might think differently to maybe a Southampton police commander from the, maybe for the same protest. So there isn't a standard. And it doesn't set precedents. So we can't know um, what to do. You know, a protester needs to know what they can and can't do to stay within the law. Otherwise they're gonna get slapped with a two and a half thousand pound fine. That's not good enough. What we need is standards. And if I get into Hampshire, I'll be making sure or be at least talking to the chief constable to see if we have policy to make sure that everybody stays within reasonability within uh, certain guidelines that's assuming it gets through of course thank you steve tony your thoughts 
the, the bill is 170 something sections, which is uh, ridiculous to try and cover in uh, in, in two minutes. And it, it should be pulled. It should be broken down. It, it contains a lot of things that I'm deeply concerned about. And most of those have been chucked in at the last minute uh, as a response to some of the events that have gone on in the last 12 months. It's poorly thought out. Um, It'll impose draconian disproportional controls on many things, including free expression and, 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 and the right to process. It's got some ridiculous bits in it. It's going to make it result in longer sentences for fly tipping than stalking. And you get you can get more, we'll be able to get longer sentence for damaging a statue than you would for attacking a woman. It's a missed opportunity. It doesn't bring in misogyny as a hate crime and does nothing about developing that agenda. It's really missed some opportunities to try and address, address the real national crisis we have around violence against women and girls. Um, it, it, it's going to criminalise trespass, which is very much targeted at a, at a particular group in our society in, in, in the most unpleasant way, I think, uh, much as the Windrush uh, generation was, was targeted uh, a few years ago by Theresa May and, uh, uh, when she was Home Secretary. Um, my notes on this are really extensive, more than any other page I, I, I put together for, for this. And uh, yeah, it's a job to. Uh, one of the other problems is is bringing all these extra offences with no police to, uh, to 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 address them, while we've got a four year wait seconds. for prosecution now in the Crown Court, with less and less court days and more and more offences being reported, uh, at a time of absolute crisis in our criminal justice system, this is not the answer. Um, it has some bits in there that we need and a lot of bits we don't. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. And Richard, it's it's your chance to see whether you are the fan of the bill. Um, I, I can absolutely in terms of the list of things that are objectionable in it. But let's <laughs> let's let's start with a little bit of positive in terms of what uh, some of the language and some of the things that he might do around uh, you know actually giving police flexibility for out-of-court disposals. You know, we can argue on the detail, but actually there's a real lesson to youth offending teams. That we have seen our um, underrating population fall by by two thirds of the last ten uh, last ten years, and we can learn from that in how we apply that to to adults as well, and really get our prison population down from you know the highest incarceration rate in Western Europe. So there are some really positive things. Two things to pick up out of that. One is if we give the police discretion, we need to monitor them. Everybody helps paperwork, but actually, are these flexibilities going to be applied fairly? Are they going to be applied reasonably? Um, and that the PCC has a role in challenging, making sure the right measures are being taken, the right things are being done. And then I think, you know, we can't do anything, um, you know, the ones we can't let go in terms of protest, uh, and it's putting the police in an impossible position. I mean, it's worth saying we've had some very good policing. We've had millions on the streets over the last five years over both sides of Brexit. You know, the environment and Black Lives Matter is another. And I have seen personally brilliant handling of difficult situations by the police. But to actually throw them into the position um, where they're suppressing protest mm. is absolutely wrong. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was a, this, this could be a, a podcast of its own. Um, I mean, and you can tell it's one I feel incredibly strongly about. But let's not put the police in an 20 seconds. position 
um, and be the guardians of, uh, yeah. you know, some sort of strange conservative politics. But we'll, yeah, I can see my time is fast approaching an end. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sir. So any other comments, rebuttals or uh, uh, things you want to add? Probably worth chucking in, I expect all candidates to agree that on some of these things, the vast majority of police, uh, policemen uh, and police um, uh, authorities, organisations, do not want large sections of this bill, uh, which sort of reinforces Richard's point. You know, the police do not want this. It's bad. A lot of it is bad legislation. And, and it, it undermines a lot of the good things that are happening within policing. You know, there's some terrific stuff coming out of the College of Policing, out of the training that's going to be, we've got this fantastic new, you know, having got rid of lots of terrific people, actually with a chance for them to, new, the new generation to come through, involve communities, all of these things. It's, you know, it's really powerful and have this bill messing it with it is just terrible. There we are. There you go. We've got you a bit of extra latitude on that one because um, we knew that one was going to be quite a lively question. <laughs> you start. Okay. So, um, well, this one should be easier then. Um, having said that, so with the smell of cannabis ever present now on our streets, is it finally time to admit the war on drugs is lost and legalise cannabis? And that question uh, first goes to Tony, please. Well, that's actually two questions. The first one is incredibly simple. Yes, let's admit the war on drugs is lost. We're losing it. We've had the same approach for 60 years and it doesn't work. All we've done is massively feed organised crime. And we are now at an absolute point of crisis and our young and our vulnerable are being sucked in. Violent crime is going through the roof along with um, knife crime, all fed uh, by the county lines and the organised um, crime that, that is going with this. We have to have different approaches. Uh, and I wouldn't take the cannabis legalisation issue as in isolation. What we need to do is look at what other countries are doing. Many other countries are having a much more effective response to, to the drug problems that we face than they have faced before. Portugal is a great example. They've more than halved their drug problem in the last few years from a point that's at least as bad as ours. Um, and they haven't actually legalised anything, but they've, they, they've had a lot of a less criminal approach to users of drugs. They've still targeted the supply end and they're having a focused harm reduction approach. Uh, and I'd happily go on for, for hours on this, having managed substance misuse services. Um, but there is a lot of things we can do uh, and we can learn from other people. In terms of the whole legalisation debate, let's have a Royal Commission and look at that. But let's, let's be evidence-based. Let's concentrate on reducing harm to our communities and our young people. Thank you very much. Um, and um, I'd like to pose the same question to Richard, please. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's one of those drugs. Is there's a simple solution, and so that simple solution is wrong. <laughs> um, it, it, absolutely, it's about um, what is the practical solution to the terrible drug situation that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah, is legalizing cannabis a straightforward solution? No. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time talking to uh, a mother about her son who's through cannabis psychosis has huge problems. This is not a harm-free drug, um, but the war of drugs is lost. Uh, uh, whether we can take directly the lessons from other less countries and decriminalize, maybe legalize fully, they'll regulate, tax it, take it out of the criminals and make it boring. Um, now, I think we have and have to have a national debate whether that's Royal Commission, wh whatever that is, before we can get there to take the country. 
but absolutely treating drugs and the wider issue as a medical issue first, um, mm. treating the kids who get sucked into it as victims mm. of exploitation rather than penalising them, um, continuing really to act forcefully against um, those, uh, you know, the county lines and other problems we've got to take mm. a comprehensive approach and get ahead of this problem. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those that as we've reduced police numbers, it has got out of control uh, and we need to do more. Thank you very much. And then lastly to Steve, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, I've got to echo the remarks, uh, some of the remarks of uh, both Richard and Tony, really. Um, you've taken some of my examples away, so I'll just be quite quick on this one. Um, we need a national debate. There, there, there's an argument that needs to happen. We need to really sort this out, thrash it out, and we need to find out what's working abroad, what isn't working abroad, what can work in this country, and we need to uh, do something over the next few years or so. At the moment, the situation is drugs are illegal, um, and we we need to we need to manage that. We need to uh, prosecute whatever we can. Um, obviously, there are guidelines on that, and. Um, we need to sort out organised crime and we need to, um, like for the county lines, etc. And we, we just need to deal with, with it at the moment. But we need a national debate. You know, Japan has uh, banned it. You know, we've talked about Portugal. It's kind of working in other countries, but we, we don't know what works in one country might not work in ours. We, we just need that debate. I'll leave it there, really. Thank you very much. Um, and would any of you like to come back with a rebuttal to the responses? I, I would like to say that which we, we did, when you break it down, we do know what works and what doesn't work in other countries. And most of it is transferable, um, you know, and because it, it breaks down into, you know, there's lots and lots of different things. So I think we can learn. Thank you very much, Tony. Okay, Ian. So um, with the current incumbent having lost a vote of no confidence from the police federation, what have you done to engage with current serving officers and how will you ensure you, you have their support and their confidence? And could I pose that first to Richard? Hi. Yeah, when I saw this question come through, um, yeah, it, it was shocking to say, and if it's the one about 98% vote of no confidence, um, from the from the police federation. I mean, my again, my background. I left home at seventeen and got a job. I didn't go straight to university. Um, my first boss had an open door policy and, and a real one, listening to everyone. Um, and that's how I've always managed, rather than you know that style of dictating from the top that we've you know, seen seen elsewhere. I mean, I've been uh, talking to officers, all ranks, former officers, over the last over the last six months, really trying to get to the heart of what the issue that they are, that they're faced. Um, you know, what are the challenges? A key part of the pre getting that confidence is respecting views and an on the ground approach, not just being in a tower in, in Winchester HQ. Uh, a key question I've put, been putting in is what would you do if you do differently? Uh, and actually getting to, to, to reflect that. So, and our, you know, our officers on the ground have a lot of ideas how these things should be done. Uh, some complete change of strategies, uh, others small bits of kit that um, make a difference to their lives. And I will be somebody who's out there on the ground talking to officers, 
not just getting reports. Uh, and I will do that early and often. Uh, and then to get the, and keep the confidence, it's about uh, proving that I'm listening and proving that I'm responding to what they're saying. Thank you, Richard. Steve. I um, still am in contact with lots of um, ex-officers that I used to work with. And, you know, my brother's uh, a former police officer, my sister-in-law's a former police officer, you know. Um, it's, it's going to take a... Um, uh, we're going to get new friends out of this at the end of the day because we're going to speak to a lot of police officers. This, that's my intention. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get onto the ground, into the onto the ground, and I'm going to uh, get into all the police stations wherever I can. I'm going to get out on patrol with them as an observer, um, and I'm going to start doing this from before the election. Uh, on Wednesday, I'm seeing Zoe Wakefield, who's the chair of the Police Federation, and I'm going to find out from her or get at least some hints and tips from her what's gone on before and I'm going to find out where the problem lies and where the ill feeling is, is coming in from the uh, police officers on the ground. You know, we need um, to get the respect to the police if that's what's being lost. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was a police officer and I know working at the sharp end, you need the backup and you need um, stability at the top because without that it really does ricochet down through the ranks so that's where I stand Thank you and Tony Thank you I, I've got a long history of managing frontline staff in, in, in difficult situations of, of the services I've managed and one of the things I'm proud to be is a manager that was known as uh, someone who would support their staff and, 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 and look after them um, as extensively as I could uh, I agree with what Steve said. I've already had two meetings with Zoe Wakefield, um, the most recent, about two weeks ago. Um, and what was really interesting, she said that the current PCC does not does that declines to meet with the police, Hampshire Police Federation. And I've already made that commitment to Zoe that if I was the commissioner, I would I would keep meeting and, and I would meet. I've also met with Unison, who represent uh, the 46% of police staff that aren't warranted officers. Uh, and I've done that twice, and I will carry on doing that. Um, we need to recognise what a difficult job policing is. Uh, I know that, and certainly Steve does, and I'm sure Richard does. And there's a lot of issues in there that need, police need support over. There's a lot of secondary trauma. I know from managing mental health services that policemen are human beings, and they deal with a lot of stuff that deeply affects them at times. Uh, so there needs to be, you know, acknowledgement of that. There needs to be uh, support and counselling services. Um, uh, you know, uh, to, 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 to help them, keep them healthy. Pay and conditions is a big issue. Uh, police pay and conditions have been cut by more than 20% uh, from the Tory and, uh, and Liberal coalition and then the Tory government. Uh, and morale is very low. It's held up reasonably well in Hampshire, surprisingly. But nationally, it's at an all-time low, and we need to recognise that. Um, and there needs to be really good training and support packages uh, for, for our police. 20 seconds. Um, okay, there you are. <laughs> good, good point to finish. Thank you. Any uh, further comments or rebuttals? I think I'll, I'll just chip back in, Richard, um, with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've also met with, with Zoe, who's, who's been terrific, actually, with engaging um, with the PCC process. Uh, and really, we had... A very productive hour. I mean, at the time, what really struck me in the discussion with her is the support that they will need with the new officers coming through. And, and this is something I have a background in, in terms of developing 
people right the way and understanding this isn't about eight weeks kick off this is, is it's going to be a 10-year process to bring these things people in and the challenges they will be you know there's a mental process in place but actually where previously would have individuals senior individuals would be mentoring one it's now two um how to get the training through, how to have those officers on the front line uh, so there are real challenges um that are going to face whoever is whoever is elected uh and 10 seconds bringing the experience of that is is really important Thank you, gentlemen. Simon. Okay, so uh, question number seven. So, voter turnout for the Police and Crime Commissioner in 2012 um, elections was um, was 15%, which is um, um, which I think we mentioned earlier on, and in 2016 was 29%. Uh, what would you do to improve voter engagement with the election to this office? And that question first goes to Tony, please. Well, first, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that nobody's cracked it yet. Um, and I think we've all most acknowledged that we had to go and find out a bit about the role once we knew we might be standing. Uh, and, it, and if we didn't know, and we're all educated people, I think, um, there is a problem. So I think we, we, we need to keep working, all of us. Uh, all of us that believe in democracy and, and community need to, to, to get that message out there. That these are important roles. They can do a lot of good. And, and this is what we, what we do. I think um, there's been a problem with uh, the last few years, um, uh, from what I can observe, what I can discern, and which I would want to put right. And that's I would want to get out there and meet with communities. I'm doing it as a candidate, and I'm, uh, I've been talking to them, and I will say, I continue, I will continue to be committed to doing that. It, it's a high pressure role, I accept that, I acknowledge that, there'll be lots of time demands, but you must find time to go out and speak to community groups. Um, you know, we know it's two million people in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, it, it, it's a huge area, um, but, but, but you've got to do that. Um, there, are, there are things you can add to that, focus groups, you can, you can work with social media and networks, uh, and do that and you know I'd, I'd want to be looking at all of those but you have to be willing to get out from behind the desk and talk to people and hear them and hear what the issues are which is, I've been doing that today I've been to five sites in Portsmouth today uh, and doing that thank you very much Tony um, and then the same question please uh, to Steve well, the last one was in the middle of the winter, wasn't it? And um, it, no, it's unlikely that we were going to get a big turnout then. You know, people don't really sometimes see these as major, major reasons why they have to go out and vote. You know, it's not a, a national election after all. That's why uh, we get low turnouts. But the thing is, we want bigger turnouts and aligning them with other elections like county and local uh, council seats is going to give the turnout. We should probably get 45, 50% this time around. This is what we should do. Also, it's also based on, you know, the previous incumbent hasn't done anything. You know, he's hidden behind the, his door, you know. Um, where is he? What's he done? You know, he certainly hasn't got out there and about. So what mm -hmm. we need to do is we need to do something. We need to show that we are doing our five-point, well, in my case, a five-point plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to uh, show that I can get police officers back on the street. Um, I can treat victims 
um, compassionately and seriously. I can tackle rural crime and improve 101. These are the things that if we can show is happening, we will get um, uh, reassurance from the community that um, we're doing the right thing and they'll want to come out and vote. Thank you very much. Um, and then lastly, the same question to Richard, please. Yeah, this is one of those where you're definitely going to get agreement. But I think, uh, first of all, it's certainly not one where we can blame voters. Um, you know, we've been given this strangely created role um, that it's very, you know, it actually it's very hard also to judge the impact. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as we've said, this, you know, here we've had this terrible experience of an effectively hidden police and crime commissioner. Uh, and we can all do so much more. So, I mean, encouraging events like this, but encouraging getting out into the interviews, getting public, talking about the problems. Um, and here's where, you know, have, you know, not having a conservative will make a difference. I mean, this is why I think, yeah, you know, absolutely pushing to have a liberal Democrat who will be a loud voice to challenge government, to actually be there um, and to demonstrate that we're listening to people and pushing for change rather than having someone who's, just taking the line and hiding away the challenges that have, that have been faced. You know, what, what has happened over the last five years and the level of underfunding. So let's get out there. There are good examples in other, in other police areas uh, of people who go out and explain. And yeah. that's um, where we would really get support for the role and get people voting. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Um, would anybody like to um, take the opportunity to have a rebuttal on any of those comments? Could, could I just chuck in the point that the three of us are here saying that we're going to be visible and we're going to talk to the electorate and where's the Tory candidate? <laughs> well, we've now got you on video saying it, so, you know. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that's why things to come. And this is... And, and, totally you know, agree. So you said, get out there and vote. And, you know, you've got, you know, people that voted, use your first preference vote, use your second preference Yeah, absolutely. Let's... Yeah. Let's, you know, there is not, you know, we don't believe there's going to be a majority of conservatives in, you know, when it comes to this election. Yeah. Get out there and make your choice. Pull it out correctly. We'll just chip this in when we get the switch card. The 5,000 votes weren't counted last time because people put it as second preference, not a first. If you're watching this, make sure you fill it out carefully so that your vote counts. Yeah. And your vote is more likely to count in this election than any other one, isn't it? Because of the first and second choice. Yeah. You know, you can make the difference in this election in a way that you wouldn't be able to in other elections. Whoever you whoever you want to vote for, you can make it make it you're more likely to make a difference. Okay. Thank you very much. Is that all of the rebuttals for um for that one? Lovely. Thank you so much. Ian. Thank you. So with, with many of the questions we, we have, you know, we've taken things from our our listeners and our contributors and we've reworded them but this one we've kept very clean and i want to thank sammy for posing the question it's very very simple you know what are they going to do to make things better and safer for women and richard that's your uh your chance to answer that one first yeah i mean and, and thanks for keeping it simple and i think um I mean, the lesson of you know, the Sarah Everard and, and all that happened after after that, the outpouring of grief and anger, but also telling stories, I think the first step is to listen more. Um, and that's, you know, as people um, find that their voice, we should be listening and then acting on that. And I think of two specific things out of that. 
Uh, one, we know 80% of rapes are not reported. Um, but if you are brave enough, take that huge step to report. Um, and I was looking back at the numbers that, that uh, one, you know, in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, 1,482 reports in 2019, 29 um, were concluded. So that you know, at this stage, they it, 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 talk about it being almost decriminalized. And day one, in terms of um, my discussions um, with the chief constable and with the others, will be how can we do better on that? Yeah. You know, that one absolutely leaps out. Yeah. Um, and the second one is in terms of safeties in our communities. And this is one working with others, working with, with local authorities and others. How can we make our communities safer? Yeah. Um, I've done a survey, two and a half thousand people have taken part in that. Mm -hmm. uh, on, and the issue, and one of those issues is lighting in public areas. Now, not everybody wants it. Mm -hmm. And there are areas around the country where people aren't happy, but we know two thirds of people actually want safe, clear lighting, safe construction that they're walking through. So that as, well, not just young women, all, all women and men as well, can um, move around in their- 20 seconds. Community and be safe. So. Let's keep it specific. Let's get lots done. Yeah. Thank you. And can I pose that question to Tony, please? Uh, my thanks to Richard for, for rehearsing the, the statistics. They, they are truly horrendous and, and deeply worrying. Uh, we're at a point of re real crisis. And I wish I could give simple answers to this, but the more I look into it, the more I talk and listen to women and people elsewhere in the criminal justice system, the criminal justice system, realize it is a very deep and ingrained and complex problem. And it is one that a whole of society uh, needs to own. Uh, we must listen to women uh, and, and, and girls, uh, but men need to own the problem as well. The, the problem is men. Um, so we need to step up to the plate. We need to be working with children, particularly boys in schools and, and in our communities and re-educating them. But there's some elephants in the room that we need to address. One's pornography. Um, and and um, I've forgotten what it was, I was going to say. Um, but um, there's... there's it's epidemic proportions, uh, the violence against, against women and girls and domestic violence. Um, and, and there's some, you know, it's linked with substance misuse and some of the others we're, we're talking about as well. Um, but, but we have to listen and we have to own it. Uh, and, and like Richard, it's absolutely top of my list. Prop, fresh approaches to drugs and fresh approaches to violence against women and girls are my two utter priorities. Thank you. And so can I pose that finally to Steve? I like lighting. Um, I think lighting should be uh, a priority um, for councils to make it safe for people to walk around in the evening. But that aside, I think what's really, what's really important here to make um, women safe is we need, again, I keep saying it, more police officers. We need these pop-up police stations, uh, which we are proposing. Um, patrolling police cars, we need better reporting. So visibility and better reporting will give the give confidence and assurance that something will be done. Um, if you know, just a police officer walking through an area will deter crime from around about up to six hours if that police officer is seen. And this is what we need. We need police officers on the street. Um, and deterring crime. You know, 
if we can improve reporting, it will create confidence. It will create something will be done other than it's a waste of time and we will then end up, and, and we need to believe victims. Taking victims seriously is so important because all the time we believe them, all the time they will feel that something will get done because it will. And, um, and, and hopefully that will answer the question for that lady. Thankfully, if I could just say, um, you know, serious attacks are, are pretty rare, um, but we, we, you know, but they are still getting, um, you know, we're still getting quite a lot of assaults and we just need to get it sorted, really, um, for men and women. You know, women primarily is uh, our concern. Thank you, gentlemen. Any uh, comebacks, additional points or rebuttals? We're saying that violent crimes up and nearly doubled in the last few years you know it it, it it is a very very serious problem we need to get it right yeah, yeah. and it, and this again is a, a podcast of its own in terms of the yeah. solutions that we need to need to go to but um, but thanks for raising it mm -hmm. not a problem Simon. Okay. We're writing your next series of podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we're scribbling away furiously. That's that's the you know that's the next few after we've taken a little break after the May elections. Um, so, question nine: What powers do you believe voters should have to recall their police and crime commissioners and force a by-election if they're unhappy with the performance or conduct of them? And um, I'd like to put that question first to Steve, please. Um, just simply. There has to be a power of recall. It's got to be along the lines of maybe the, the MP. You know, we've got powers of recall for the MP. Um, so if we can get all public officials to be on a standard, then there's a starting point. But yes, there needs to be a power of recall. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and the same question then, please, to Richard. Yeah, I think this is the... It's one of those, it's the wrong answer to the wrong question. Um, and I think it shows the weakness of the police and crime commissioner role that, that's there and why sort of fundamentally, I believe, it, you know, it needs to be abolished. Um, how would voters judge, you know, how, whether a good job is being done? I mean, we, we challenged our current um, police and crime commissioner on his invisibility, but also on what he's done. But you have to dig a lot into it. Yeah. Um, and the three of us will have done that to understand yeah. how much he has failed. Uh, and to throw that at the public just seems mm. just make it compounding a problem, making it worse. If it was somebody leading a police board who was democratically elected, that board themselves could take action to have a new chair. And that's where real democratic accountability comes. Thank you very much. Um, and then lastly to Tony, please. I suspect to some degree you're asking the wrong people. <laughs> How should we be sacked but, um, if, if we got the role? I, I think there has to be accountability. Uh, I think first and foremost, police and crime commissioners should, should work and hold themselves and be held to the same account as police officers through the principles of the, the, that come out from the College of Policing and for the, and the Nolan principles of, of public life and accountability. And we have to hold ourselves to, that, to those. Uh, and, if, and if we don't, there should there, there should be the opportunity to remove us, uh, and I think uh, how that process is put in place, I don't know, because um, you wouldn't want it to be political. You want it to be moral, um, and and and, and a, 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 an evidential thing, if you like, that people 
people would do. I think there's a role in all this for the police and crime panel, which is the representative of the local authorities uh, that sit behind the police and crime commissioner. And as much as the police and crime commissioner holds the chief constable to account, the police and crime panel will hold the police and crime commissioner to account. And I think there's a role for them in this. And we know there's a review going on. Maybe they should look at strengthening some of, some of their powers and some of their responsibilities in this respect. Thank you very much. Um, any rebuttals at all, please? Lovely. Thank you. Next question. So with the public no longer having access to police, as many um, you know, police stations have closed, is it possible to have a frontline service that's always in the back room? And Richard, I'll give you first bite of the cherry at that one. Okay, this is one of <laughs> preemptively disagreeing with, with Steve here, just because <laughs> um, I think we, we, we talked, he's talked a lot about visibility getting out, at what, you know, talking to police, you know, as I say, it's called the bobbies on the beat, but actually, you know, the world it is very challenging to be visible. Um, I was hearing some issues around Eastleigh, and then when the area was described to me, I knew it really well. They were reporting back that they had no police visibility, but actually, if you talk to the district commander, there had been enormous amounts of police there. They just hadn't been seen by people. And um, you know, what are the chances you're looking at the window at that particular time? And uh, what we really need is for the police to be present and then present in ways that can directly relate to people. So we will see them, um, you know, let's build on, actually they have their stalls at the supermarkets, they go to where people are, seeing them online. And then there's a real, you know, people are living online, we're seeing um, neighborhood, neighborhood Watch in particular, supporting older people, accessing and visibility of the police online. We're going to say, you know, I've been really impressed at the work being done with Twitter, actually just telling the, you know, people what the police are doing so they understand the police are not hidden away. They're not in back rooms. They are actually out there policing. So there's a, I think there's an, an more, you know, we've got a problem that there are fewer police, so there's lower visibility. Let's get more police. But actually, let's not take simple solutions um, on getting people out there. Let's use the ones that are, from a policing perspective, effective and that people see. Thank you. So, Steve, I'll give you the opportunity to go second on that one. When I was... Uh community beat officer, um, I'd walked my beat for eight years and I'd walked up a particular road nearly every shift of my eight years in the same way. And a lady stopped me and said, oh, it's nice to see a police officer on the beat. And I said, yes, madam, I've been walking past your house for the last five years. And, and I appreciate that police officers aren't always seen. And I understand that, Richard. However, you know, a lot of people did see me because I went into the shops, I went to the schools, I went into the security huts of businesses and spoke to all sorts of people. I was a governor at a school. And, you know, you've, you've got to be seen on the streets. You know, another way that we can, um, uh, you know, uh, have direct access to the public uh, police would be to open pop-up shops. You know, there's a lot of um, empty retail shops out there which should be branded with police and police officers can work from those pop-up shops. You know, it can be in potentially in libraries, but how maybe disorganized, that would have to be very well thought out and you'd have to get um, the, the various organizations on board on that. 
but very cheaply you can open up um, um, you know very cheap retail pro you know a lot of town centers would be glad to let you have a, a shop um, and work from that shop and it wouldn't have seconds. to be expensive and police officers can work from that and be a point of contact for the uh, public so that's where i stand on that perfect thank you and tony uh, the simple answer to the question is no you, you you can't you can't do that um as I've been going around Hampshire, I'm, I've been shocked by the number of closed and padlocked police stations. Uh, Eastleigh was mentioned, which I used to work in a lot. Um, I was at Gosport on Friday night outside the police station there, now closed. Lots, there was a, quite a few police cars came back at various, passed at various times with officers in them. But of course, we weren't able to engage with them because they're in their cars and they were going somewhere. And I think the, the image of closed police stations gives our communities a real sense of insecurity because they feel there's a message there about about the police moving out and, and abandoning them. So we have to find better ways of embedding our police back into the community if we're not going to reopen all these police stations. And I agree with what Richard said about uh, new technology, for example. Um, and um, some of what um, uh, Stephen said about visible police policing. I know that's what people want. We all know that the biggest single issue here is one of resources. Um, and if, if we can't solve that, certainly nationally, but even more so in Hampshire, where it's so penalised by the government's operation of the police funding formula, um, it'll, it, you know, <laughs> what do you take away from somewhere else to have a policeman walk down your road? You know, that's what we want. And that's what we have to address. But we, yes, we have to find ways of embedding our police back in our community. Um, because our communities not only want that, but they need that. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a message about we're not giving up this territory to, to crime. We're here. We're, you know, we care. And that's what's important. Mm. Thank you, sir. So any other additional comments or rebuttals? Could I just say something on on that, really? Uh, we Yes, we uh, I agree with Tony. We need to find ways um, to get more police back on the streets. But there will be ways. It's just working out. For example, procurement. You know, it's, it's, a tr it's, it's very expensive. They spend thousands on using existing businesses and not exploring slightly cheaper businesses, which are trying to get established in the market. They use an existing um tendering people you know we just need to get visibility however whatever it takes visibility rules you know in the rural in the um, towns you know it deters crime it it solves a lot of level low level crime thank you sorry thank you gentlemen and um, um, i just had a message through from simon that we have um we've got some questions coming through in the chat so, yes. Simon, I don't know whether we'll go with 11 or if we've got some beautiful thing that's come through from the online chat, whether you want to go with that one um, make all the candidates nervous. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna go with 11 and then um, I think we'll still actually be able to squeeze in at least one of the ones from the chat. So, um, so uh, number 11, um, in what ways will you be accessible to the public? Live up to the democratic standards um, and 
what the elements of the office will you perform yourself and which will you delegate? Um, we've slightly rephrased the question, but I think it's speaking to concerns about um, other um, other people being employed in order to carry out parts of parts of the role. So I think that's what that what that um, what that's speaking to. Um, and I pose that question first, please, to Steve. It's quite an interesting one, really, um, without trying to say too much, the rock the boat of the office, really. Um, I would like to see that uh, people from the entire office of the Police and Crime Commissioner uh, maybe use other offices around the county. For example, um, I would like to see a PCC's, a deputy PCC role on the Isle of Wight, because I think the island is highly underrepresented. You know, I, for example, will be out and about observing in on patrolling vehicles. I'll be going um, into shops and businesses. I'll be visiting police stations and speaking to uh, commanders. And, um, and I'll be doing all of these things. And I will be visible, unlike the incumbents at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, these are just sort of some of the things that we can be thinking about. You know, if we are going to use pop-up shops, then why couldn't a... Um, member of the Office of Police Constable, um, uh, Police Crime Commissioner, sorry, uh, work from that office. And then they are a contact for members of the public to go and see, and they're representing the, uh, the office. So it's just all about communication, speaking to the public and getting them on our side. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much, Steve. And uh, that question to Tony, please. Um, I, I agree with Steve's point about the Isle of Wight. I was there on Thursday, spent the whole day over there, and they, they feel forgotten. Um, and I think we do need to find ways of, of, of lessening that, that that feeling. And Steve, I think, raised some interesting points. So, that the Office of the Police and Crime Commission is a very centralised thing over a very large county, a very big and very diverse county. Um, and some of what we we all might say about this, we said earlier about all having to be far more visible, far more out there to talk to people. Um, the commissioner has a figurehead role, a chief executive. There is a chief executive as well, but they, you know they have the ultimate responsibility. But they do have a team of specialists uh, working for them, and it's important to acknowledge there's a lot of specialist areas that that come under the. Police and crime. We talked about drugs. We talked about violence against women. We talked about young offending, rural crime, um, and we need to recognise specialisms and, and work with people. Uh, and it's very important that those specialisms are embedded and 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 have a real relationship with community groups. So uh, the rural crime people have to be in regular contact with the National Farmers Union and, and the farmers' organisations and, and rural village organisations and, and, and the women's have to be in, in contact with women's great groups of rape crisis and things like that. And there's a real goal, role for coordinating that and bringing that together um, and ensuring that it, that, 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 that it all fits together um, and, 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 and there's links back into all the community um, and, 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 that, and that's what's needed, um, you know, to help. The residents of Hampshire and the Isle of Wight feel connected back into the Police and Crime Commission. And it links to another question we had earlier, doesn't it, about how we make this role meaningful? Lovely. Thank you very much. Mm. Um, that's great. And then lastly, that question to Richard, please. 
like Tony and I nearly bumped into another. I was over there all day on Friday on the white. And, and I think it is it, it, what is, is is incredible how much um, you know the Isle of Wight is a particular community, but other communities appreciate people spending the time. And yeah. actually, that you know, from the very start of when I was uh, was campaigning on rivers, th th that is such an important bit. And it isn't just about visibility. You know, for most of the population will not expect to see much of the PCC. And actually, that I mean, when we had our our training on this role, you know, there were over three hundred organisations that we needed to build relationships with. And in order to be able to coordinate services um, and really work our way through where are the problems, how can they best be solved? Um, and it's that as a first step. And then as somebody you know, who's managing large, uh, you know, complex, complex business, it is about using your time, using your team, you know, where they have strengths and actually drilling down into the problems. I mean, we've talked about the early, the early one, you know, the ones around. Um, the violence against women, we've talked about drugs, we've talked about other ones that need specific early attention, but through my, you know, three years in this role, you know, I'll be looking to support where it needs it and then trust people to um, to drive forward in the areas where we've got a strong team. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you very much. Were there any rebuttals to those responses at all? Okay. Um, now, interestingly enough, in your responses, you've actually all managed to answer two of the questions that we had in the comments section, one of which was, have you vis recently visited the Isle of Wight as part of your campaign? And the other one was about um, seeing police officers walking the beat rather than traveling around in cars. So um, I'm going to try to dare to squeeze in the the remaining kind of uh, comment question. So um, I'll appreciate... Um, pithiness and brevity if that's okay um so um one of the contributors to the chat um expressed a um that they'd had trespassers come onto their land and burn uh, some of the stuff used uh, for cons conservation that basically had a big party um do the candidates object to trespass being a criminal matter um and i'm going to pose that question first to steve rural crime is massive I spoke to the NFU um, just three or four days ago and their engagement with Hampshire police has been next to zero. This we've already highlighted, the incumbent hasn't done his job very well. Visible policing is absolutely imperative. We need to be seen out there. Is trespass needs to be, it's criminal damage. If they cause criminal damage, then they need to be prosecuted. You know, we can't have people trespassing on people's land and devastating. You know, these are people's livelihoods and they need to be protected. So trespass should be illegal. It shouldn't be allowed. You can't just, you know, if you want to go wandering on land, go up to the Peak District. There's a national, there's a big national park up there. You can't just wander across somebody's land and, um, and, and, um, and know that to be all right because you don't know what damage is being caused thank you very much um and i will pose the same question please to richard yeah i mean and the, the specifics on criminal damage and, and and trespass you know we're getting into the very difficult areas here as of um as you know, has, has come up in the discussion in the act that's currently going through parliament it just ends up being a hodgepodge of criminalizing things and and 
you end up with ridiculous penalties compared to other penalties and all that. The key thing is around policing. And actually, Hampshire, I'm going to contradict Steve here, again, again, I've met with the NFU, but also and with others, you know, there is, you know, with the resources they have, they are pushing really hard. And what the, the sort of changes that we can make, as well as uh, the resources, is responsiveness. I mean, that's what the, the NFU highlighted. If they know those crimes happening mm. um, and a pattern, those need to be identified quickly. Let's build up the working relationships. Let's let's address that. And then also then supporting victims more because in, in rural areas, they feel more isolated. So they're, what is, what the, you know, as almost as much as can be being done is done, um, but we can, we're just gonna have to build on that, learn from elsewhere, fly tipping and other issues. So this is sort of a big, this is a big challenge, um, but there are no simple solutions. Uh, but let's 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 improve on where we are. Thank you very much, Richard. And then, lastly, to Tony, please. Yeah, the, the issue I think Steve alluded to uh, uh, is what we need to do is respond to the crimes that are being connect, uh, committed. We 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 don't need. To, I don't think we need to change the law. I don't think uh, a trespass is a civil offence uh, if somebody walks onto ra- onto land, and that 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 in itself is not offence if they cause damage while they're there. If they damage the environment, they damage property, they break a lot to get in. They are all criminal offences. And the issue is, is that we, we don't, not that we need to change the law. We need an effective response from our police. We need police with the ability to respond and deal with that and deal, deal with the crimes. Uh, I agree there's some big worries about rural crime. Uh, we might need some changes in law around some things. I've been hearing a lot about the problems of hair coursing which isn't just about the continuation of blood sport. It's now organised crime um, with large groups of people involved in it because it's supporting high levels of, of illegal betting. Um, uh, and uh, there's some big issues around that, and we might need some very specific responses to that and a change in legislation. Uh, I'm big, big fan of the environment. I'm very committed to the environment. I'm a member of the Hampshire Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust and the Hampshire Ecological Society, I get involved in wildlife surveys. Uh, I know there's a lot of environmental crime goes on, fly tipping's only a, a part of it, uh, and we need a much more effective response to a lot of this. And we need to work in partnership with people, with local authorities, with wildlife organisations, uh, and with landowners uh, and, and organisations that support them to have a more effective response to the problems that are caused. Um, that's what I think. Thank you very much, Tony. Are there any rebuttals to those comments at all? Yeah, just as, uh, and this is where people listening to this podcast may not believe it, but actually, in terms of hair coursing, um, you know, and Tony's mentioned that, that these are organised gangs, but these can be armed gangs, um, and there is no police response, um, you know, when they're reported in many occasions because they just feel they won't get there in time to be able to, to do something. You know, these are the real gaps in policing, why there's, you know, there are real problems. This is, you know, we've been having debate about how we fix things and all of that. But I think none of that takes away from the fact that, you know, there is so much to fix in, in Hampshire, across Hampshire and all the white on, in terms of, of crime and how we respond to it. Lovely. I would just like to say, um, Thank you, Tony. Uh, you, you're right for just picking me up on that one. The, the damage is the key, uh, yeah. which is I was trying to come to. Um, and, said that. and, you know, technology, we need to invest in that, or the NFU, we need to get together yeah. and uh, we need to sort that out. 
Interestingly, talk to the NFU, insurance is driving a lot of the the, the the rate, the rises in technology and the response to some of these things, but it's not enough. We need an effective police force. So, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to have to interject on the interests of time. Yeah. Um, that brings us now. Thank you. That's all the questions. It brings us to our closing statements. And Richard, could I ask you to lead off? I just say, I mean, a huge thank you for, um, for you for organising this. Uh, I think across a whole set of questions over the last hour and a half, we've had a chance to talk about the really specific and, and spend time really rooting into the problems that are facing Hampshire. I mean, this is something that I very passionately believe that we can take steps even within the financial constraints that we have, mm -hmm. and we can drive to highlight by electing a Lib Dem um, PCC that Hampshire will not stand for the neglect and mistreatment of the people of Hampshire of the Isle of Wight by um, the Conservatives, uh, including, you know, we've got, uh, you know, the policing minister in, uh, in this yeah. area. Yeah. So there is, you know, an immediate opportunity for the electorate to get out there, vote for change. Do not think that the Conservatives have to win in Hampshire. They have no entitlement. They came along and I heard on your podcast last week, it, it said that Donna Jones will be, that she only will be if we don't get out there and vote for, and vote for change. So I've got you know, the specific actions that I want to take. Uh, and that's, you know, it's the biting on funding. It's the focus on prevention, really getting in and adopting long-term solutions. Um, let's have social streets. Let's actually get the community involved. Uh, something that's become really clearer to me over the last few weeks is that we've had enormous numbers of people who've got to know their communities through the COVID. They've actually, so many of us have volunteered more, have got out, now understand how our communities work. And pe those people are turning around and saying, now we've done this, what more can we do for our communities? And, you know, and, and speeding is one of them. There is the opportunities there. We can work with the police, we can use volunteers and we can make change. And it applies to every single aspect of this. Yeah, I started on a positive at the very beginning. I will finish on a positive on the end. We have a community who wants to do policing better. We have a, a community that nearly all believe in policing, who support the police, who want them to do well. Um, and I want to you know, take that opportunity to bring these things together and make Hampshire a better place. Yeah, thank you. Steve. I think the first thing I've got to say is that we need to keep national politics out of police, local policing. We need the local police to be able to see what needs to be done, to engage with the Police and Crime Commissioner and to be able to listen to the people and move forward with a proper strategy in place. I believe that I can do that. If you vote for Hampshire Independence, and I'm in office, I will work very closely to the Chief Constable and the police force. I will certainly be very proactive. I will certainly have uh, my team, um, as they're paid by the public, to be accessible by the public. Appreciate not every single position will, will, have, will be in that, involved in that, but that's the, the aim. You know, we need visible policing. We need to tackle rural crime. Rural crime is massive, as we've already hi highlighted, you know, with the theft of machinery, hair coursing, large scale fly tipping, um, you know, livestock thefts. We're doing nothing for them. 
and we need to do something before them. We need to involve all areas of Hampshire and the Isle of Wight. And the Isle of Wight absolutely needs the police and crime commissioners' support. They are so underrepresented. We need to be down there. And if I can get an office down there, I will. So all in all, reintroduce community police constables, get them visible, not only in the towns, but in the rural, treat victims compassionately. Let's clean up our streets with antisocial behaviour, excess noise, fly tipping, and make 101 work, because it's not working at the moment. And if you get me in, I'll pledge that that will happen. Vote Hampshire independence. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. And finally, Tony. Yeah, I'd like to start by saying what a shame the Tory candidate isn't here to answer how the Conservative Party have treated with Hampshire and the Isle of Wight residents with contempt over all these years. Our police are at a point of crisis. Our communities are at a point of crisis. We are the worst funded force in the country. Uh, and, and no Tory MP is calling that out, uh, including the police minister. The Tory Police and Crime Commissioner isn't doing that. Uh, I would have a passion to call that out and for fight for fairer resources uh, to, to, to do that. I'd want a fresh approach on drugs. I want to target and prioritise uh, violence against women and girls and get that dialogue going. I want a better response to retail crime and protecting our essential shop workers. I want a greener police force. Uh, I, bring, I would bring uh, extensive experience of many of the issues, if not all the issues that underpin policing and crime in Hampshire and skills and, and, and expertise in multi-agency cooperation to actually bring all that together. Uh, and I, I would have a passion for making a difference. That's what I've done all my life uh, in public service. So thank you for this opportunity to talk to people. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, just before we wind up, um, Ian, can I just um, issue a thanks to those that submitted um, questions? Definitely. Um, so, although we didn't um, um, for the, um, I know we did once, but for, for most of them, we haven't kind of attached um, names to any of the particular submissions. Some of them we've um, amalgamated it, um, with, in with each other, but we were generally um, really uh, found it really difficult to merge some of the questions together, but to get to the kind of the nub of of what the issue was. So, forgive us for rewording some of those questions in order to um, get more of them in effectively but thank you so much for your contributions from lisa gordon paul mick tony kevin sammy nick um another nick uh Teresa, stephen russ judy and scott thank you very much um and i my apologies for anybody that i've forgotten on that it's not an exhaustive list but thank you so much for um for helping contribute to make sure um that the uh, candidates had an opportunity to answer your questions so Simon, could somebody say something about the voting system? Because I think it's important to all of us that, that the listeners understand that this is unusual. It has a supplementary vote attached to it. Uh, I don't know if we've, we've I don't we think we've explained that, and I think that might be important. I don't know if the other people agree. But, um, ab absolutely, and I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it was only in passing. And actually, get out, use your vote, use your supplementary vote. Um, vote it, it'll be clear on the ballot paper, but watch out, yeah. think it through. We can make a difference. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank, thank you, gentlemen. We wish you all the very best on uh, May the sixth, and uh, and uh, yes, yes, enjoy the rest of your campaign. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. 
I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And our guests have been Richard Murphy from the Liberal Democrats, Steve James Bailey from Hampshire Independence, and Tony Bundy from the Labour Party. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Join us on Wednesday the 21st of April when we will be inviting Craig Withy from the Labour Party and Matthew Winnington from the Liberal Democrats for the Eastian Cranes Water Hustings. That will be 7pm on the 21st of April. At our normal time of 6.27pm on Sunday the 25th of April we have the Charles Dickens Ward Hustings um, where we'll be inviting Kirsty Meller, the Labour candidate, and Dr Rooney Raj from the Conservatives to join our hustings. In each of those hustings, we have invited the other candidates, but unfortunately have yet to secure any response. So hopefully um, we'll have some more information for you um, in the coming days. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm, on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast, blue and yellow till we die from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy.